We thank you, Father, for your mercy. Lord, I pray for everybody in this room right now. That whether today or tomorrow or sometime in the future, that we would learn to not worship you from desire, but from reality. And I thank you for your presence drawing us in and trying to work with us and move us and shape us in your image. But I pray your heart will be satisfied in every family, every marriage, every individual, everything represented here, Abba. That your kingdom would come and your will would be done in their earth as it is in your heaven. Father, your purposes would be established. That your grace would outrun and outweigh anything of our nature. And though you don't force your will on us, there's a way in which you love that bends the will of man. And so I'm asking that you love us in that way minds and wills and hearts would willingly bow before the love of God. And in our heart of hearts, Lord, we would know that we are living out our destiny. We're not just surviving in the mess we created. The reason why we live is being accomplished in our daily life with you. I thank you, Lord, that you forgive sin. And those of you in this place, if you have anything on your heart that you need to get right with Jesus, you just need to do that right now and say, Father, thank you for the blood. I receive it and I believe it. And I ask you to forgive me. Grant me the ability to repent. Grant me the gift of repentance. That I can change my mind. Then my problems become yours and yours become mine. Thank you for the great exchange, Father, in the gospel. Spirit, we ask you to forgive us for grieving you in any place in our week. And we ask that you would embrace us and move and power in the word of the Lord in our hearts. Open our ears, open our eyes. Help us to see you and to know you. We thank you in Jesus' holy name. We ask these things. Amen. Thank you, guys. You guys can be seated. If you um, if you had children and you want to send them to the Sunday school in the back, you can. If you want to keep them with you, that's totally fine. Um, usually before I even get a chance to announce that, the kids are just, they're gone. Got to get away from that preacher up there as fast as we can. I don't blame you, little guys. The rest of y'all are stuck with me, so that's what you get. We okay? It's good to see everybody this morning. I hope you're okay. I hope you're doing well. I hope God is moving in your life. 
I uh, understand we're all on a journey. And there's some little segments of our journey we get stuck sometimes. You ever been there? Just me? Just me and Anna? That's it? Okay. Uh, See, what you do when you get stuck determines how long you stay there. Because you're going to get stuck. It's going to happen. You're going to create your own mess. And you're going to try to blame the devil for it. And then in a minute, you're going to realize it wasn't his fault. And then you're going to have to repent and get right with Jesus. (laughs) The faster you do that, the happier you're going to be. I promise you. You with me? So, uh, you know, I, I, we sing these songs sometimes, and I, I get nervous. I, I get nervous for me when we sing certain songs because I don't want to be a liar. And I realize a lot of us worship from desire instead of reality. We love you more than anything, Jesus, right? We sing the song. Do we really love him more than anything? See, he he instantly got uncomfortable in the room. Do we really love him more than anything? It's a good song, but do we really love him more than anything? I don't know very many people that love him more than anything. I don't know very many people that love him more than anything. I think we have a really strong affinity towards God, but... When it comes down to what we want to do, he takes a second place. And on Sunday, it's a great thing to sing, and we want it to be true, which is why I say we worship from desire more than reality. We want it to be true. I mean, we want it to be true. I want it to be true. But until it is true, it's just hope. And hope is not a reality. It's just hope. You understand what I'm saying? I want to help you get there. Because God wants you there. And you need to be there. Because if you don't get there, your whole life is just going to be one spiritual merry-go-round after another. And your Sundays are going to be the only icon of your Christianity. And you're going to own Monday through Saturday. And you're going to wonder why things are a mess. See, Jesus never intended this thing to be encapsulated in buildings one day a week. That was never the intention. And if you come only one day a week, I have nothing against you. I love you. I want you to keep coming. That's not a negative thing at all. I'm just saying that that's not his intention. What you value will bring you value. What you idolize is what will command your time. So we, we, we encourage you guys to come to, if you can, come to home groups with us. Try a version of the gospel you're not used to. Try actually getting to know people. Because this isn't church. What I call this is Sunday morning evangelism. That's what I call this. We're just trying to get you to like us enough that you'll actually start showing up to be a part of the church. Because the church isn't a meeting one day a week. It's not. Show me in the Bible where the church is just one day a week meeting. 
and I'll repent. But I've read it a bunch of times and it's not in there. In fact, I read the exact opposite. My Bible says that when they got touched by the Holy Spirit, they met in everybody's houses and broke bread every day. There's something about being around the people of God that changes the human will. See, when you're isolated by yourself, your will stands alone. But when you get around other people and you see where they're growing and you're not, and your excuses fall short with their lifestyle compared to yours, you realize that, wait a minute, I either have to stay and change or leave and no longer be convicted. It's humbling for someone who's been saved X amount of years that we, we talk about. I've been saved for 25 years, bless God. And then you get somebody who's born again two years into it, and they've surpassed the person who's been saved for 25 years. And then that person who's been saved for 25 years looks at that new baby and goes, oh my gosh, I think I need to do something with my life because I've reduced Jesus down to a good theology and that's about it. See, I, one guy says, if your gospel isn't touching others, your gospel's never touched you. It's a selfish Christianity. It's about you and your morality and how you feel and what you think and how, what you want. But, the, but, but that all begins to change when you start getting around people who have a different mindset. <laughs> That's why I say that, you know, I see people go through such hardships and trials and, they, and, and, and so many things that cause them to have to go through such difficulty because they're doing it all by themselves. I don't know where we got that idea. See, even life teaches us differently. Do you, does everybody understand, have we come to the understanding that right now that you're never going to get to a place in your life, ever, in your entire life, where you're never going to have to submit to anyone? It won't happen. It won't happen. And we teach our kids that, right? There's power in community and family, true or not? What happens when you send a kid off by themselves and they're not ready to handle what you're sending them to? What happens to them? They fall apart. And we know that, so we keep them protected for so many years, right? We do that on purpose. Why? Because they need a community. They need people around them to be able to help them understand what is right and what is wrong. And when that moral decay begins to happen inside the home, then what happens is we begin to see it in the culture. And so we train our children, or we're supposed to train our children, to where they listen to us by the way, we, this is how it's supposed to work, by the way we live, they emulate what they see, with me? And we begin to train them and teach them in a communal environment. The problem is, is that the school system has more influence on your children than you do. Because there's more time spent with those kids there. Other kids are raising your kids. It's real quiet in here. I'm not saying everybody should homeschool. That's between you and Jesus. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you shouldn't send your kids to school. I'm saying you better be careful what influences your community. Because what influences your community is what's going to influence you. And what influences your community determines the war in which you fight. 
And all of a sudden, when your kids get wrapped up into something that you know is wrong, guess what? Your entire focus and attention, every direction you wanted to go for yourself is now shifted and changed, and you're forced to put your entire focus because somebody else is doing wrong. And your whole life becomes about that. True or not? Same thing when your marriage is falling apart. We were not meant and designed to sit there and clean up messes our entire life. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is to be fruitful and what? Multiply. So we teach our kids to, you know, listen to your mom, listen to your dad, listen to your teachers, listen to your authorities, listen to your elders, listen to the police officer. And then all of a sudden at some magical age, they turn 18 and they go and we go, well, you don't have to listen to anybody. Just figure it out yourself. No wonder they're confused. One, we never taught them how to think before they got there. And then when they got there, nobody told them, listen, you're never going to be on your own. You better create a community around you wherever you go to help you through trials because there is nobody who's powerful enough to stand alone. It's impossible. At the very best, they'll survive, but never thrive. Because if our own standards are our own ceiling, we never rise any higher than ourselves. Yes. Same thing with your opinion. I know it's valuable to you because it's yours, but unless you make it valuable to somebody else, they're not going to listen. With me? Yes. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. So we do the same thing in church. We raise these people up. We try to raise them in the church and we say, hey, you need to listen to your pastor. We need to listen to these things. But there's a certain age that, that spiritual people get where they realize, I don't have to listen to anybody. Why? Because somewhere, somehow, some crazy, stupid doctrine got involved in the church that you just need to listen to Jesus and nobody else. Well, then why did... Why did God create apostles and prophets and pastors and evangelists and teachers? They take one verse in the Bible, in 1 John, and they build an entire theology on it that reduces them from having to submit to anybody but the Holy Spirit. Whenever the rest of the Bible, there's more verses in the rest of the Bible talking about how you should take counsel, submit to people, listen to these things, honor your authorities, over and over and over and over. We find that one verse, we take it out of context, and we say, well, we only have to listen to the Holy Spirit, and we go out and wreck our lives spiritually. You know, Jesus calls us sheep. You raise sheep? I have. Yes. They're dumb. Yes, they are. <laughs> I never realized how stupid sheep were until I raised them. I'm like, thanks a lot, Jesus. That's a huge compliment you just paid us. I constantly would go out and work those and be like, stupid sheep. But you know what I began to notice as I as we began as we raised our sheep, we had we would have these certain sounds we would make to call them to feed, and they would begin to know those sounds, and they would begin to come. And the older sheep knew when certain things started happening. They could see when we were coming out of the house. They could see certain things. They they were paying attention to the environment around them. They knew something was about to shift in their day, and they began to make their way to where they were going to be fed. But when they would have babies, 
The babies didn't know the sound. They didn't know the voice. They didn't know the environment. They didn't understand anything about what was going on. But, you know, somehow they always ended up where the feed was. Why? Because they knew who was taking care of them or because they knew who fathered them. See, what I'm saying is, is that in that scenario, I was the shepherd. But those babies had more of an of a understanding and a connection to their mothers and their fathers than they did the shepherd. Are you getting where I'm going here? Jesus is the shepherd. When somebody gets born again, they don't know the voice of God. They just know the presence of God. It's a big difference. How do they know which way to go in life? How do they know which way to go in theology? How do they know which way to go in character? It's not because they're hearing Jesus so clearly. It's because they're watching the fathers in their life. You make sense? These little bitty lambs would start following the ram all the way to the feedlot. They had no clue where they were going, why they were even going there. They just went. And then when they got there, guess what? Time to eat. Until they eventually got to the place where they began to recognize the sounds, the environment, the voice, the shepherd. They began to understand the common uh, goals of what was going to be happening on the farm. You understand what I'm saying? So this idea that we have this individual relationship with Jesus that trumps the communal whole is from hell. Your personal individual relationship with Jesus is important for you and him. But the reason you have it is for other people as well. Right. See, you can only take people as far as you've gone yourself. And if you don't grow individually, you're never going to be able to help somebody else grow. The problem with that is, is that nobody else wants to grow by following anybody but themselves. So everybody's trying to spend time with Jesus and everybody's trying to get everybody to follow them. And if everybody's trying to get everybody to follow each other, then nobody's following anybody. We're just arguing about who to follow. And that's modern church. Yep. <laughs> well, I disagree with that pastor because he said dot, 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 dot. Do you realize that your disagreement with a current, a popular or unpopular theology in a pastoral or leadership capacity is never greater than the authority structure God commanded you to submit to? Well. Like, in other words, God will not release you from authority because the authority is wrong. Mm. See, I know you like to think that, but how many times were you wrong when you raised your kids? And yet you still commanded, and God commanded them to submit to you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Right? Yes. You see what I'm saying? Yes. Now, I'm not saying we, we should just be wrong and command people to, to follow us. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we all have a responsibility to know the will of God for a communal whole and a representation of the bride of Christ. The Bible says that we are many parts one body. Which means if I do something that's bad, I'm going to affect you. Yes. Well, you agree with that because I'm the pastor, right? And I'm the, more, I'm the important one, right? Which is a lie. But that's, that's the way the culture looks at Oh, he's the pastor. So if he does something wrong, well, that's terrible. No, Jesus looks at it the same way. If you do something wrong, guess what? It affects me. You call this your church and you call this your home body and you live in sin throughout the week, you're going to bring something into this environment that's going to cause the rest of us to have to deal with it. Yep. That's true. 
it's a two-way street. See, we, we've built this idea that the, the pastor has to be perfect, and we're just we're the ones that are always struggling. He's there to serve us. Well, that's partly true, but he's there to serve you so you can grow up into the image and the nature and the stature of Christ so that you can begin to serve others, that fathers beget fathers. And then eventually what happens is, is that somebody listens to you long enough, they begin to understand the nature of Christ, the word of God, they begin to understand the shepherd, his voice, his, his leanings, his tendencies, his callings, and they begin to understand who God is through you. Yes, hallelujah. Which means... That give, doesn't give us the right to go off on our little emotional tangents. No. We actually have to use what's called self-control. Imagine that. Silly. It seems like that's somewhere in the Bible, like it's something that's a fruit of the Spirit that we should naturally have. So it's amazing to me that we have these people who want to follow the Holy Spirit, no matter what He's saying, but they have no self-control in their life. You know what that tells me? It tells me they have a religious spirit and they're hearing what they want to hear is God and they're calling it God and because they call it God, they get to do whatever they want. Yes. When the whole goal is for the body to operate in unity to such a degree that we trust and love one another and we follow the shepherd even if we don't have the current gift. Yes. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. There's certain things I'm really gifted in. And there's other things I am not gifted in. And you don't want me to touch it. Because it will not work. It'll break. And when somebody comes to me who is gifted in that, and they say, hey, I feel like this is what we're supposed to do in this, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, okay, let's do it. Why? Because uh, they're gifted for it. I'm not. Right. And if they lead me the wrong way, guess what? It's their fault, not mine which makes them have to make sure that they're right. Just like I have to make sure I'm right. Are you following what I'm saying? Yes. I'm talking about mind renewal, and I've been talking about it for like six weeks. This is week seven. And if you, if you, you guys need to probably go back and listen to some of these things over and over again, because I promise you, you're not going to remember everything that I'm saying. Mm -hmm. If we don't renew our minds, we're not going to be able to interpret what the will of God is. Romans 12 says this. Mm -hmm. We're going to go there. Right? But we have to understand that the will of man will never empower us to perform the will of God. It takes a community to be able to understand what the will of God is. There'll be certain situations in your life where God is going to place you under such submission that you're going to have to trust somebody in your life to be able to hear what they're saying because you can't hear on your own. It's not fun, is it? No. See, we want to feel like, no, I hear God for everything. You're not going to hear God for everything. No. I promise you that. How many of you guys in your life you've prayed about something and God never answered you? You know why? Maybe because He was answering you through somebody you weren't connected and committed to. Well, God, the Lord didn't answer me. Maybe he did, you just didn't like the answer because it came through somebody you didn't like. In fact, I would say this, there's going to be a time in your life if you get with a community and there's a particular person that does annoy you, that's probably the person that God's going to choose to speak the word of the Lord to you. Yep. Now we're preaching good. 
you with me? Yes. See, church is not a, a, an hour and a half sermon in, in the middle of the week. Mm-hmm. It's a group of people who have chosen to give their lives to one another. And they've chosen to say, I have a lot going on in my life, but nothing will ever be as important as you. There's a lot of Christians that aren't there. They like coming to a specific church because of how it makes them feel, what they think. They like the worship. They don't like the worship. They like the word. They don't like the word. And they go to a church basically dependent upon their likes and dislikes. Period. Instead of going for the glory of Jesus Christ. I think it's funny when people come in here and are new, they put me on trial when they have no clue they're the ones that are on trial. Because this is not a regular church. A lot of churches say, oh, well, we're a family, but they don't know each other's names. They don't know each other's kids. They don't hang out with each other any other time than on Sundays. There's some of us that are almost with each other every night of the week now. Why? Because we make it that way and demand it? No, I mean, people just show up. Hey, how are you doing? I'm glad to see you tonight. Man, that's awesome. I saw you last night. I'll see you tomorrow, too. Awesome. (laughs) So you can't stop love. No. But you can make excuses. Everybody decides what's important. And we all want to think that when you come out of the womb, like, you know, like you, you get born again, you just know Jesus. No, you know the voice of your mother more than you know the voice of God. Yes. True. In the natural life, you know the voice of your mother. You know the voice of your father. And then what do they do? They teach you how to love Jesus. They teach you how to hear God. They teach you how. And if you don't have submission in your life, you're never going to know God as He really is. No. Never. The greatest leaders you'll ever meet in your life are the people who submitted They understand submission. They understand that God works through submission. He works through authority. Mothers, have you ever gotten a sixth sense about something with your children? And you said no, and they were all mad because you said no. And then you turns out, you figure out something happened and you were right, and if they would have went, something bad would have happened. You ever got that sixth sense before, mamas? Did God give you that because you were right or because you were an authority? Authority. Not because you were right. We're all wrong. The quicker we figure that out, the faster we're going to be able to grow. God moved through you in spite of you. Because that's what he does. He moves and speaks through authority, even though that authority may not be everything you want it to be. Just like your kids don't think you're everything they want you to be. Am I making sense? Yes. So if you haven't guessed, we're talking about mind renewal in the state of the will of God and knowing the will of God. And I'm going to jump ahead so you can have context, but then we're going to go back to Romans 12. But here it says, the Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. Yes. And I've said this over and over and over again. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. If the Bible would have said you, then I would be completely wrong on some of these issues. The Bible doesn't say you have the mind of Christ. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. Why? Because it takes a we, an us, 
to understand the full nature of the order of God. There's a part of God that you possess that I don't. And if I don't get to know that part, I'm not going to know God's mind in what he gave you to do. I can only go so far individually with Jesus. It doesn't matter how perfect you get, how moral you get, how anointed you get. The corporate whole is about progression outward. The individual is about progression upward. But there's so many verses in the Bible, including out of Jesus' mouth, that says, if this isn't right, do not even talk about this. Yet, that's exactly what we do the opposite of. Well, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. That means you can't tell me what to do. No, all the more, all the more, 1 Corinthians 5 says, if you absolutely confess the name of Jesus, the church has the right to judge you. I know the world taught you no one can judge you, but they're wrong. You need to stop letting the world teach you about the Bible. Maybe read it sometime. There's a few verses in there that when I bring them out, people are like, oh, I didn't know it said that. It's not my fault. How long have you had a Bible? It's sad because most Christians have never read it. I won't do it this morning. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but there's times where I'll be like, hey, raise your hand if you read it cover to cover. And the majority of church people that I've ever gone to in meetings, there's like maybe 10 hands. Maybe. And I'm like, well, what if the questions you ask God and the prayers you're waiting on and the things that you think you want to know about Jesus are, in, are hidden in the spots you've never read? And then you're blaming God for not answering you, and he's like, I've hidden everything here. Proverbs says, it's the glory of kings to conceal a matter. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of kings to search it out. That means there's something in there that's hiding from you and me. And that one thing you find might radically alter your current theology. Yes. You with me? Yes. We need each other. You with me? Yes. Are we okay? Yes. So you understand God's will is, is the most spiritually sticky subject we could get into. What's the will of God? People, people all the time, well, I, just don't, I just don't know what the will of God is for my life. You know, when the Bible tells you what it is. We just don't like it. And then you get the people who are super spiritual. Like they're way on the other side and they're just like, well, I won't get dressed until the Holy Spirit tells me what color shirt to wear. That's awesome. Good for you. You know what I found? The Holy Spirit likes what I like as long as it's not outside the nature of Jesus. Amen. And he'll work in that. So if I feel like, I know there's stories where people said they got up and God told them to put a green shirt on. They did. And there was this awesome story about it. But you know what probably God would do in my life? He's not going to tell me to put a green shirt on because he knows what color I'm going to wear. So he's going to probably tell the person that was looking for that color shirt to, put, to look for the one I was going to put on anyway. You see what I'm saying? I'm not going to go there in my mind because I, want, I have other things that I need to focus on and it's not about what color shirt I need to wear and whether I can hear the Lord and the Holy Spirit and all these little different, different small things. Right. I'm not saying God won't do that. I'm just saying that's not the focus.
Why did God tell somebody to put the green shirt on? It wasn't for you, it was for them anyway. Again, it has everything to do with other people. When we renew our minds, we understand that the Christianity we think we possess for ourselves is actually more for others than it is for us. Are you with me? Yes. Okay. Romans 12, we're going to go to verse 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship or your spiritual worship. So you got to understand, Paul's saying, look, I want you to present your body as a living sacrifice. What happens to sacrifices? They die. <laughs> present your body, this outward man, as a sacrifice to God. Guess what that means? It's not hard. It means you don't get to do what you want to do. That means your will has to stop and his has to come in. I don't get to tell God what I want to do with my life. I'm, I'm beyond the part in my life where I'm following my dreams. I'm following his. Yes. Why? Because my dreams will go with me to the grave. And it doesn't matter how much success I achieve, I will always only be a memory. Mm-hmm. But when I follow his dreams and I come to his realm, I will not be a memory. I will be a resounding echo throughout all of eternity through the obedience that I gave Jesus Christ of Nazareth in my body in this earth. And it will never be forgotten. Amen. Because certain things are eternal and certain things are not. Doesn't matter how much money you make, how influential you are, whether you paid your bills, whether you didn't, whether you invested properly, it doesn't matter. Where the grave is coming to your life, it will suck all that away from you, and you'll only be left with what you can offer Jesus and what he did through you. Yeah. That's what you will be reduced to. Mm-hmm. Your opinions will melt away into nothing. He says, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do you understand that your body follows your mind? Yes. Figured that out yet? Mm-hmm. Your body follows your head. Yeah. Did you catch what I just said? Yes. Who's the head of the church? Jesus. The body is supposed to follow the head. Which part possesses the mind? The body or the head? The head. We're supposed to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Why? Because the mind of Christ has already told us that we are expendable and our lives are supposed to be given to others. That's the example that Jesus gave us, true or not? True. We're supposed to constantly live under the nature of Jesus, which means many times you don't get what you want in those scenarios and situations. And it's our lack of suffering in those areas that creates the conflict. Anytime you and I stand up for what we want in a marriage or a situation, I promise you one thing's going to happen. Division. Well, my job and my this and my that, and you don't understand. If it doesn't follow Matthew 6.33, then it's not of the utmost importance. Right. If your job takes precedence over the kingdom, you're the one that has the issue. Right. But I got to work. I didn't say you didn't have to work. I said that the importance level is determined by you. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then everything else will be taken care of. 
problem is, is that when the, everything else comes, it's not the way we want it. It's not like we thought it was going to be. Right. The everything else to us is that, you know, million dollars in the bank account. When it doesn't happen and you're just, you're okay, but you're living check to check. <laughs> you with me? Yes. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you know that Monday through Saturday, the entire world's job is to conform you to its thought process? Yes. But the Bible says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Why? Why do we need our minds renewed? What's it say? So we know the will of God. An unrenewed mind cannot know the will of God. This is why I know when I'm sitting with somebody who has a complete unrenewed mind and everything's about them and they're asking me, what's the will of God for my life? I'm like, hold on, <laughs> let's back up. You don't need to worry about the will of God. You need to worry about getting your head straight. Right. Yes. You're messed up. You're selfish. Your marriage is broke. Your kids are broke. Everything's broke in your life. Let's not even talk about the will of God yet. Let's talk about renewing our minds so that we can begin to understand the will of God. Does it make sense? Yeah. Because if they found out what the will of God was, you know what they would do in that moment? They would run from it. Because the will of God is their death and their sacrifice for another, and they can't even do that, which is why they're in the current situation they're in. They're in the situation they're in because they haven't died right. for someone else. Right. They haven't laid their life down for someone else. Their marriage isn't the way it is because they're demanding the other party to serve them, which is not the mind of Jesus. Are you with me? Yes. So that we can know what the will of God is. It takes the mind of a son to know the mind of the father. Not the mind of a Christian. The mind of a son. Yes. God never calls you a Christian. He never has. It's not in the Bible. The only time that's words in the Bible is when the world couldn't define us. So that word transformed, right? That word in Greek means metamorphosis. Oh, well. What's the first thing you think of when you think metamorphosis? Butterfly. Bees do the same thing. The larva stage, the cocoon, if you will, in the beginning, and they come out. Something completely different. So there's a reason he uses this terminology here in the metamorphosis. A caterpillar undergoes a process in isolation. You with me? Yes. It, it goes from one thing to being a completely almost different species. Does this make sense to you? So what Paul's saying here is that you need to have your mind renewed. You need to go undergo a metamorphosis. You're thinking like a caterpillar when God made you to be a butterfly. The mindset you've grown comfortable with is self-consumption. Oh. Yep. But the identity he's created you is for service of others. Yes. I mean, you guys are a garden. I've done it for a long time. And this is an interesting reality. 
when caterpillars are in your garden, they destroy things and they consume everything for themselves. They actually destroy the plant that they're supposed to pollinate in the future. You know what pollination does? Without pollination, there is no fruit. So the mindset that we operate in in the world is consumption of us, and we're actually consuming those around us. We're consuming their life and their energies and their thought processes and making it about us, and we're getting fat on what we want from their life. And that's the mindset of the world. It's the Adamic nature. It's what needs to be crucified. It needs to be a living sacrifice. There needs to be a time in the cocoon, a time in the tomb, a time where God begins to work on you when you're by yourself and you come out of that thing and everybody doesn't recognize you the way they didn't recognize Jesus. Amen. Something's different. Yes. Where Jesus spoke to his disciples beforehand to their minds and they didn't get it. After he rose from the dead, he spoke to their hearts and it burned inside of them. See, God wants you and me to come to a place where we're so living for other people that all we're caring about is the fruit in their life. And we're doing whatever we can to pollinate that reality. Yes. And do you realize that pollination doesn't happen one-on-one? Pollination is a communal understanding. If you don't have so many plants in a tight area, there's not enough pollination to make the fruit grow. Anybody ever try to grow corn? You know there's there's a reason why they plant it in tight blocks? Have you ever tried to plant one ear over here and one ear over there and one over there? It'll never produce fruit because they're not close enough in proximity to have the pollination help one another to fill the ear. You peel back those those kernels. What's going to happen? You'll have one kernel here and one over here on the other side and a stripped stalk in between, a stripped cob in between. Nothing. Very little. Everybody, everybody ever seen that before? That's, that's a sign of poor pollination. What's the butterfly's job after it comes out of a metamorphosis? To restore and to build what it formerly destroyed. What your mind and your life is torn apart in people and your family and your marriage and your kids, what you formerly consumed upon yourself and beat down and oppressed, The nature of Christ is supposed to come up inside of you and begin to restore and build and pollinate and bring fruit into people other than yourself. See, it's a travesty. It's a tragedy for a butterfly to think like a caterpillar. But that's what the church does. But it's not a tragedy for a caterpillar to think like a butterfly. One is hope. The other is defiance and rebellion. Be transformed. Be metamorphosis. 
by renewing your mind. Why? So you can know what the will of God is. You understand that the caterpillar doesn't know the will of the creator for its life? All it knows is what it wants. But the butterfly somehow even doesn't have to think about it. Its nature has changed. It doesn't have to be instructed. It just begins to serve. And by its service, it receives its strength. With me? Yes. It's a mutual benefit in the pollination process. I'm ministering to you. You're ministering to me. What I carry from you, guess what? I bring it to someone else. And the revelation is expanded and expounded and, di- and deepened and, and made wider and broader. And then you take the word that God's given me and you chew it on it and add your part to it. And then you take that and give it to someone else. And then they take and add their part. And then they bring it back and share it with me. And I'm like, man, I never saw that before. That's awesome. And then it gets bigger and bigger. And then the corn in the ear begins to fill. You understand Jesus spoke in, in farming terms and we don't understand those things today? Because you think your meat comes in cellophane? <laughs> he said, this is why some produce some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. You ever wonder what that meant? When you have a corn on the cob that has only 30% filled, it means it was only 30% pollinated. When it's 60, it was 60% pollinated. When it was 100, it was 100% pollinated. It was involved in communal understanding. In other words, if you want to bear 100-fold, you're never going to do it on your own. In fact, this idea of my personal relationship with Jesus, guys... That's awesome, but it's just one kernel. And when it comes time for the king to choose what he's going to have on his table, I am not, if you come over to my house, going to put a corn on the cob in front of you that has one kernel on the cob. That's disrespect. When it's time to serve a king, what do you put down in front of him? And this idea that we've created, that this culture has created, that even it, conf- it creates confusion. Like I said in the beginning, we raise our children. Submit to authority, submit to authority, submit to authority, submit to authority. As soon as you get saved, you don't have to submit to authority. Garbage. All throughout Scripture. All throughout the New Testament. The exact opposite is actually spoken. And I know we started behind the starting line quite a ways in the American gospel because the America tells you that you're an individual. Do you. You be happy. Follow your heart. All these lies. You were created for people. And we tell these kids, you know, go do what you want to do. But do you know what they do? They go out and just create a different community. 
That's what they do. Do you know why three out of four children leave the faith when they go to college? It's not because you taught them wrong. It's because you didn't foster the community they went to. Community changes people. You hang around me long enough, I'm going to change you. I promise. It will not be the other way around. I've lived too long, seen too much. You are not going to convince me of anything else. You hang around me, I'm going to change you. The problem is, is some of us in this building, you hang around other people and they change you. Mm. You need to find people who, can, who are strong enough to pull you up. Yes. But when you take a young person or a young believer and you put them in an environment where they can't stand, which is easier, to pull someone down or pull someone up? When they're weak, it's easier to pull them down. I think it's funny. We read the Bible and that story where Abraham sends out Sarah or Hagar and and she's out weeping underneath this tree. And the angel comes and talks to her and he says, take the child and all this stuff. What? That dude was like over 20. And the Bible makes it sound like he's this little infant because you guys understand anybody over the age of 40 understands how much of an idiot you are between 20 and 35 and you're an idiot you think you know everything but you're smart enough to tell everybody you don't but the way you act you're going to do your thing and then you come back later on going I was I was an idiot Ask me how I know. (laughs) I remember a guy told me that one time and I was offended. I was like, man, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) He was right. (laughs) Are you with me? Yes. See, let me, let, me tell you, let me say it this way. When you get born again, you have the full power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. You can heal the sick. You can raise the dead. You can cast out devils. You can do everything Jesus asks you. You have the full power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. But do you know what you don't have? The full character of Christ. Mm, come on. When you get born again, God doesn't supernaturally put His character inside of you. Why? Because Jesus had to undergo everything that we had to undergo. The Bible says that he grew in, in favor and stature and wisdom with God and man. Wisdom is the mind of Christ. He grew in his wisdom. He grew in his mindset. He grew in his thinking. The character of Christ is developed by metamorphosis. It's by us embracing and following the master, being disciples, learning from him. Anybody tells me you don't have to submit, then I'm going to pose one question to you. Why in the world do we see that the first act of Jesus Christ in the Bible was submission and the last act of Jesus Christ in the Bible was submission? Mm, come on. And he's God. He actually has a reason that he doesn't have to submit. You and I don't. Right. And he did it anyway. The first story, the first thing we see of Jesus was him submitting. He was right. His mother was wrong. But what did he do? Submitted. He submitted anyway. See, we think if someone's wrong, we don't have to submit. 
Well, tell that to Mary and tell that to Jesus. Because she was wrong, he was right, and he did it anyway. You with me? Yes. See, ladies, you should understand this. But our culture has deified you. The Bible says you submit to your husbands. That word submit's a four-letter word in our culture. You know why it's a four-letter word? Because you don't know the power of submission. Jesus saved the whole world by submission. And if you think that's weak, you have the wrong mindset. Oh. I, tell, I told this story before, but I just want to make it relevant to you that you don't want to come to me and fight me on something. I don't, even if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm dumb, I won't move. I just, that's the way God built me. Yep. I'm not the strongest, I'm not the fastest, but I'm telling you what, you have to kill me to get me to move, and I'm okay with that. That's how I'm, that's how I'm made. I will not move off of what I think is right. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. And the more you fight on me and push on me, the, the more I dig in. I'm not a quitter. I've been pastoring for 25 years. That says something. You meet somebody that's been pastoring and dealing with people that long, they've shoveled a lot of stuff. <laughs> because they love people, but they're not moving. Right. If I was going to quit, I would have done it by now. Right. You with me? Yes. But my wife, bless God, is the exact opposite of me. That's why everybody likes our family. It's not because of me, it's because of her. <laughs> Early on in our marriage, we had a disagreement. And it wasn't a fight. It was just like, this is what I feel like God was supposed to telling us to do. And she's like, I don't feel like God's telling us to do that. And I'm like, well, you're wrong, woman. This is what we're doing. <laughs> and some of y'all think, well, he's just a sexist pig. And call me whatever you want. Doesn't hurt my feelings. I don't care about your opinion. <laughs> my wife loves me. My family's in order. My children serve God. I've got fruit in my family. Let's compare fruit and we'll go from there. Let's figure out who's the sexist pig after that. Here's the thing. She comes to me and she's like, well, I don't feel like this is what we're supposed to do. And I said, well, we're doing this. This is what we're doing. She begins to push on me a little bit. You know what I did? I bowed up and dug in. And you know what she did? She stopped and she said, you know what? She said, I'm going to follow you no matter what we do. And if you're wrong, we'll be wrong together. I went from from this to... uh, Maybe I need to rethink this. Because I don't want to be wrong. Why did I want to be wrong? Because I don't want to take her through something that's going to hurt her. Right? And so I stopped and I pulled back and I was like, well, okay, maybe I need to rethink this. What changed the situation? The war or the submission? Submission. Ladies, you have no clue how much power you have. Yeah. <laughs> Wisdom is submission under the order of God. 
I'm not saying you have to do something that, that's illegal, immoral, or unethical. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that if somebody's beating you, that you should stay. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying that the wife is supposed to represent the bride of Christ. Now we're all involved, men and women included, and we're supposed to be the bride, and we're supposed to submit. Yes. One to another, the Bible says, yes. as unto the Lord. Yes. Well, because I'm the pastor, I don't have to submit to you? No, I, I submit to people who've broke bread with me and who fellowship with me and make covenant with me. There's been multiple times in this body where I completely disagreed with certain directions it was going, but I never said anything and I just went along with it. Because maybe I'm wrong. But guess what? If we're wrong, we'll be wrong together. You with me? Yes. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. See, the will of God has to be found in the mind of God. The mind of God is found over the body of Christ, mm -hmm. not the individual. Right. There's going to be times where you're praying about things and God's going to answer you through someone else. How many times has that already happened in your life? Somebody else brought a word to you. Oh, yeah. And you're like, man, wow, that was what I was praying about. Wow, thank you so much. But you know what we want to hear? Some booming voice out of the sky. You know why? Because that keeps you from cross-pollination. Do you know that there's certain gifts in the body of Christ that are naturally more disposed to being loners? Guess what? I have one. My whole life, I've never needed people. For me. I've always been good by myself. Leave me alone. Get out of my face. Before I was really born again and I was out doing stupid things, I was like, look, people are just opinions and armpits. Get them all away from me. I don't want anything to do with them. They're stupid. I don't want anything to do with them. I may be dumb too, but I may be dumb by myself. Does that make sense? Yes. But God changes my heart to where now I crave community. When, it, when, when in the old nature, that's something I did not want. Right. I did not want people in my life. It just created more problems. Now, their problems are mine, and I'm happy to love them that way. What changed? My mind. I began to think like Jesus. And I began to realize that people are more valuable than I ever thought they were. And I began to realize they're not problems and opinions and armpits. They host the living, breathing presence of Jesus. And I need to foster that in them and breed that in them and help them get to be where God died to make them. I was wrong. You with me? Yes. See, the mind of Christ is wisdom. The mind of Christ is wisdom. I want to say it this way. Power gives you the ability to force a strength upon a weaker, inferior reality. That's what miracles are. It's power enforcing itself upon a weaker reality. But do you realize that when miracles come the mind doesn't always change. Right. Yes. See, in Scripture, whenever Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, that should have been the final earmark sign for all the Pharisees and Sadducees to go, he's Messiah. <laughs> but do you know what happened? They were like, now we got to kill Lazarus because he's the one living testimony that proves he's the Messiah. 
See, the miracle is a power that forces itself upon an inferior reality. And that's what we're trying to do. We're praying for miracles in our life. We're praying for miracles in our marriage. I want you to listen to me now. Pay attention. We're praying for miracles in our children. We're praying for miracles in these issues of our, situations in our life. But you understand that the miracle does not mean that the person's mind is going to change, which means they might get, get free from that situation by the miraculous power of God. You're like, oh, finally, thank you, Jesus. And then they run back right back to the world. And you're like, oh, I thought, I thought, how many times have you seen an addict go back to, to their addiction? And that God moves on them. And they're crying and, they, and the presence of God's all over them. But then what happens? Right? But see, what the miracle cannot do, wisdom can. You with me? Wisdom gives you the ability to make the inferior reality come into line with the will and intention of God. You remember Solomon and the baby? See, it would have been a miracle for their hearts to just change. But what did he do? He used wisdom. He used wisdom to cause both people's mindsets to come into the understanding and the nature of God's desire. When I operate in wisdom towards you, there's a part of your brain that goes, huh. (laughs) Never thought about it like that before. And then you begin to change. And when you change, guess what? You no longer need your miracle. You no longer need your miracle in your marriage. Why? Because you changed. Even if your spouse didn't. And now you don't feel like towards them like you used to. Mm -hmm. And whereas before you were in Caterpillar thinking, change my wife, 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 or change my husband, change my husband, change my... Now you're in the butterfly thinking, it's my responsibility to to grow and change, and then I'll help pollinate them. Wisdom changes the situation. What does the Bible in, in 1 Corinthians say wisdom is? It's the cross. cross is the wisdom of God. Why? Because the cross removes the former knowledge by which you moved your life in and through and gives you the wisdom of God, the tree you're supposed to eat from in the beginning. You follow me? Let me make it a little more clear. Cross is wisdom. Yes? Yes. Which is opposite to tree of knowledge. Right. Jesus hung on a a tree, tree yeah. and became a curse for us. Uh-huh. The wisdom of God is the cross. The cross is the tree of life. It's where you found your life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is where you found your, your chaos. You with me? The wisdom of God is operating underneath the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, having your, your, your bodies as living sacrifices unto God, operating in wisdom. Why? Because when that happens, a part of you dies and it's no longer tempted to operate and respond to the knowledge of somebody else's sin in your situation. Ooh, come on. Wow, that's good. That's right. Yes. So Amen. You, do you realize most of your arguments start whenever you think you're right and somebody else is wrong? You figured that out, right? Yes. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yes. Never brings life. It'll never bring life. 
It never can. But we try it over and over and over again, hoping to get them to see. What we're praying for is a miracle for them to change. Whenever we need to change how we think, come into a living sacrifice with Jesus Christ, have this thing die, and then we operate in the wisdom of God. When the wisdom of God comes, submission comes, and when submission comes, it's hard to be mad at somebody who's loving you. Yes. Yes. But instead, you know what we do? We'll go find a different church so we can find a pastor who's going to tell us what we want to hear. Mm. I've seen people, men and women, come to me and be like, well, I just feel like it's time for me to leave my wife. You're stupid. (laughs) You do not have the mind of Christ. You are thinking like a demon. Nowhere in the Bible will God ever tell you to do that. So they get mad at me. And they'll actually go find a pastor that says, yeah, you you can do that. It's okay. God knows your heart. (laughs) It's true that God knows their heart. It's wicked and vile and evil. Because the standard is Jesus. And he said, I'll never leave you or never forsake you. And that's marriage talk. Because we're the bride. And I'm so glad he never left me. Because I was a little turd. (laughs) Forget that. Scratch that. I was a big turd. (laughs) And he never quit on me. And you know what he used to, to, to transfer me into his reality? His wisdom, his cross, his love for me. (laughs) And then I think I'm going to change somebody else a different way. (laughs) If it was good enough for God to use towards me, it's good enough for me to use it towards someone else. The reason I can't or won't is because of this. When you start to renew your mind, you're going to undergo some dark times. You're going to face all those monsters you created in there. And God's going to shut the door in there with you, with them. And there's only one being that's going to come out alive. You or Jesus. Because those things are designed to break you, to burn you, to destroy you, to kill you. And the better they, the faster they do it, the better you're going to be. But that gets rough. Which means, all the more reason you need community. Yes. You need somebody who's been through that dark mind situation where they're having to face all that stuff, who's got through it and got out of it, look at it and looks it straight to you in the face and says, I know it's hard. I know what it feels like, but let me tell you the truth. Yes. yes. Because they're going to be able to give you hope. And hope will make you stay in that grave one more day. One more day until finally you come out and everybody looks at you and goes, my God, what happened? You're beautiful. And your whole purpose changed, your identity changes, everything changes in your life because you transformed yourself by the renewing of your mind. And now what verse one says for you to do is possible because you've done verse two. You've renewed your mind. Now you're able to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
I didn't have time to get into why the will of God is important. It was about 10 or 15 verses, most of them from Jesus, talking about the importance of doing, knowing, being in the will of God. You can't do that unless you have a community around you. Jesus was the best. And he decided to surround himself with about 15 people. Didn't need them. But in order to fulfill what we had to walk through, he had to go through it too. Does this make sense? Yes. You need people, you need community, you need fellowship, you need people in your life that are gonna be, who are a little farther ahead than you. Because when they're a little farther ahead, guess, exact, guess where they're going to take you? A little farther from where you're at. Does this make sense to you? Yes. When you renew your mind, you're going to have to understand we have the mind of Christ. Not you, not I, we. I need you as much as you need me. We need each other. And this is how the glory of Jesus is going to be manifest. All of us operating under the headship of Christ. Wow. Think of a church that could actually do that. Unstoppable. No longer divided amongst themselves with petty little stupid issues, but realizing that person seeing that thing a different way is because they're gifted for it and I'm not. And I've, even if I disagree, I'm probably the one that's wrong because I don't have the gift for that thing. Right. <clears throat> because when somebody's doing something, the first thing we want to do is say, well, that's not the way I would do it. Well, the problem is, is you're not doing it. That's first year disqualifier. <laughs> second disqualifier is the fact that you may not be gifted for it and what about pollinating them and encouraging them and yeah. being with them and walking with them in what they are doing instead of tearing them down for what they're not Hallelujah. the mind of Christ stand with me you understand this has to be developed how many of you have been trying since we started this series and it's been rough oh, yeah. how many of you realize you've been making some progress you need this. This is much bigger than when somebody told you 25 years ago, well, you need to renew your mind. And you're going, I have no clue what that means. God does not birth Lone Rangers. Hollywood does that. God creates order. He creates an apostolic father. The prophets are submitted to that. The teachers and the pastors are submitted to the prophets. The evangelists are submitted to those. And the church is submitted to that until we all come to this unity of the faith where we all become like Jesus. And then we submit one to another. Because we recognize the life of Christ we recognize shades of our father and our brother and our sister and we go, wow. Man, I want to know that part of God that you have. I want to know that part of Abba because I want to know my daddy. Every one of y'all's kids are different. They all bear different nuances of who you are, but they're all created uh, in, in, in multiple expansions of who you are. You can see in your kids sometimes how they have some of the, some of the same gifts that you have, but they're just bigger. They're greater. They're deeper. Why? Because that's the goal. To expand. To have it grow. To have it outgrow me. To have it outgrow you. 
We need the church to outgrow us. We need our sons and daughters, spiritually speaking, to outgrow us. We need to raise up such leaders that by the time we're dead and gone, the world goes, oh my God, they started something we cannot stop. These people think differently. And the devil's scared. Why? Because if we can't access their mind, we can't access their character. How awesome would it be to no longer have strongholds of demonic thinking in our mind, but strongholds of the kingdom of God in our hearts, in our minds. Or you wake up in the morning and you just look at God and say, hey, I have no clue what it's going to look like. But if, you're, if the coming of your kingdom today kills me, then here I am. You see, Jesus prayed this. He says, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. He taught us to pray it. He taught us how to emulate it. We cannot know the will of God without this. His will be done. We can't know it without the mind of Christ. How do I know that? Because he started the prayer, our Father. Not my Father. You realize when you go pray the prayer of Jesus in your private time, you have to say it the way he said it. And when you say it, you're saying our, you're automatically bringing the body with you into your prayer time whether you know it or not, under his guidance of, of wisdom that you're, when you go pray that prayer in your, in your private time, you think it's just you and him. And he says, oh no, honey. Oh no, sweetie. No, no, no. We're going to bring the rest of the family into this too. Because that's my mind and that's my heart. This is why standardized religious church kills people. Because something inside their spirits, they know that this is not what it's supposed to be. It's not, it's not what it's supposed to be. Something is missing. If this is all there is, I come to a geographic location one day a week and I sit for an hour or longer in this church because that guy won't shut up and then I go home. There's got to be more than that. Father, we thank you for the mind of Christ, for the wisdom of God, the cross. It's the cross that gave us new life and it's the cross that gives us the wisdom to think like a son. So Father, any area of our life where we've shunned submission and responsibility and the will of God and community because we don't value it the way you value, we ask you to forgive us. And we ask you to let us come in and make our part whole and strengthen and the individual joints and members by our having a song, a hymn, a spiritual song, a word from God. And never elevating that word over the people we're giving it to. Because Jesus was the ultimate word from heaven and he never elevated himself over the people he was sent to. Even if he had the right. He took upon himself the form of a servant. Train your people, Father, and help them. Because this kingdom that you want to have happen in your life, in this life, is dependent upon them. We decide whether God gets his prayer answered or not. 
So we love you. We thank you. I bless these people to know you, God, to know your heart. Father, we bless this food in the back and our fellowship. We ask that you just be with us as we be the church and share meals and life together and getting to know one another and to fellowship. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.